Welcome to the Make a Dent podcast. I'm very excited for the guest we have on today, Mr. Clint Pulver. I'm going to give you a little background on him, then I'm going to let him say hello. So Clint Pulver is an Emmy award-winning keynote speaker, workforce expert, actor, author, pilot, and professional musician of over 20 years. In 2010, he founded the UVU Drumline, known as the Green Man Group, and went on to direct Drumline for the NBA's Utah Jazz until 2015. He appeared on America's Got Talent and in feature films with actors such as Jack Black and Napoleon Dynamite's John Hedder, featured in Business Cube magazine as one of their top 40 under 40 as a premier corporate keynote speaker. He has traveled around the world speaking to a wide spectrum of diverse audiences, challenging them to dream, excel, connect, and believe both in themselves and the power of others. Welcome, Clint Holder. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Did we get all of that right, Clint? You did. You killed it. Awesome. So I have so much I want to dive into, but we're going to be respectful of time. So perhaps I can convince you of around two in the future, but we'll see. But let's talk a little bit about just dive into like the origin story of Clint Pulver um, background, just very briefly kind of to where you got to where you are right now. Yeah, I was the kid in school that always had a hard time sitting still. I still have a hard time sitting still. Uh, I was constantly deemed a problem. a lot of, you know, because I just couldn't, I couldn't sit still. I would, I would tap, I would move my hands and I got in trouble a lot. I got teased a lot. I got bullied until one day I had a teacher named Mr. Jensen who told me to stay after class and he pulled me up and he said, listen, I, I, you're kind of the kid that's on the list and I know you get in a lot of trouble. A lot of the other teachers talk about you because you just tap, you tap in my class and you tap in everybody else's class. But he said, but I've watched you though. And it's crazy. You'll sit there and you'll work on an assignment and you'll take a pen and you'll write with your right hand and then you'll tap with your left hand. And then mid-assignment, you'll switch the pen and you'll start writing with your left hand and you'll tap with your right hand. And he said, I, I think you're ambidextrous. Okay. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm Presbyterian. He's like, no, that's not what it means. He's like, no. He, he, said, he said, can you tap your head and rub your belly at the same time? And I gave it a go and I could do it. And then he asked if I could switch it. And Long story short, I just had this ability to have independence with my limbs. And he looked at me and he said, I don't think you're a problem. I just think you're a drummer. Wow, okay. And I'm someone, Sierra, that believes in the power of moments. I think moments are like critically important in our our lives. Uh, That's what we remember. We don't really remember the days. We remember the moments. And in this moment, Mr. Jensen, the old teacher, he leaned back in his desk and he opened up the top drawer and he reached inside and he took out my very first pair of drumsticks. Wow. Okay. And he created a, a lasting moment that really is the beginning of kind of my origin story and music and this ability to kind of write your own story and to live a life by design. And for the last 23 years, I've traveled and recorded uh, all over the globe as a professional drummer. Mm-hmm. My college education was paid for through music. I've been able to teach and uh, hopefully inspire others to to be drummers uh, through this process. And it's all because of one teacher who created a moment that represented possibility, not limitation, not uh, the negative. He saw what was right. I love that story so much. And the reason that we're connected right now is because, and he said I was okay to share this, you were kind of a Mr. Jensen for my brand strategist, Chris. And at another time, I'll let him kind of go into that, but you greatly impacted him. And so it's been cool from my perspective because I'm 
I'm just getting to know you, but I've, I've watched a lot of your stuff to see you talk about this moment with Mr. Jensen, which is what your movie or short story is that you won the Emmy for, correct? It's called Become, or Be, Be a Mr. Jensen. Yep. That, right? yep. Yep. And, yeah, and you got see, it. And see how that dominoed for you and also how you then kind of paid it forward to many others, I'm sure, and to my buddy Chris. And that's why we're talking today. So I think that's just so, so, so cool. Now, take me from, so you did a lot of music, you did drumming. Um, I, I would love to get into some of that more, but walk me through how it went from kind of drumming and then um, you did the uh, Undercover Millennial. Yeah. Right? Am I getting kind of your timeline, right? You did Undercover Millennial and then did that turn into your public speaking? Yeah, so I, I was a part of a mastermind group and the Undercover Millennial program started when I was in New York City and I was I'm, we were meeting with other CEOs and executives and business owners. And this one gentleman that I met with owned a large sporting goods chain and we're in his sporting goods store and we're talking about his strategy and brand development and how they've had to just change over the years to, to keep up with a marketplace that's always changing. And then I asked him, I said, so then what about your, what about your employees? What about how you manage people? And he fired back and said, no, 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 there's no need to change there. The way I manage today is the same way I managed 20 years ago and we get results. And I thought it was interesting that he felt the need to change how he did business to meet the demands of a market that's changing, but not when it came to people. Mm -hmm. And so I thanked him for his time. I had some, uh, you know, just time to kill until we needed to be to our next place. So I went and interviewed some of his employees just as a, as an, as a customer, as, a, as someone in the store. And I looked like this. I had a backwards hat on and just a regular shirt. And I walked up to some of his employees and they had a different story to say. Mm -hmm. They had a different story to tell. And they were not satisfied. They were not happy. They were disengaged. They were on their way out. Five out of the six of the employees that I interviewed said they would not be working for this guy in his store in less than three and a half months. And I realized that the perception of, re of leadership versus the reality of the employee experience is sometimes different. And yeah. most leaders, sometimes we, they have no idea when they're doing poorly because there's not a lot of incentive for employees to speak their truth. Yeah. But I realized because of my age, and the situation and the environment that I created, people would open up to me. People would tell me what they really felt. They looked at you as peers, right? Exactly. And so that was the moment that started the Undercover Millennial Program for me. And I have traveled for the last five years all over the world working with organizations and thousands of employees interviewing them undercover. Mm -hmm. We wrote a, a new book that just launched uh, four or five months ago uh, called I Love It Here. Mm -hmm. How great leaders create organizations that people never want to leave. And that was really the cool part of all of the research is when I would go up to an employee and I would say, what's it like to work here? Uh -huh. And they would respond with, I love it here. Right. I love it. I love my job. I love our culture. I love what we're doing. I love what we're building. I, you should apply. You, you should work here. I, and love then that, that, I love that that's a spin you put on the book too, because so many books will talk about the problem. And then yeah. I'll say the solution for the end, which um, you kind of preface a little bit, but the majority of your book is spent on like what, what was going right and how to kind of like duplicate. Replicate that. How to, how to replicate yeah. that. So I have a question about the moment um, when you decided to go interview those employees. First off, I'm so curious, how old were you at the time when you went on this retreat or, or whatever it was? 
Yeah, so I'm I'm 34, and it was five, almost five and a half years ago. So what is that? Uh, I guess 20, 28, 27. Well, you have some work experience um, under your belt a little bit. I, I was my question when I heard that part in the book was, how come you cared about company culture? Like, what sparked that for you? I have my story on what kind of ignited it for me. Uh, most people, I think do when they have had maybe poor uh, job experiences. But I'm just so curious, what, what sparked that desire to learn about the company culture in you? Why were you interested in that and intrigued enough to go talk to the employees? Yeah, I think first off, it was because I wasn't fully happy where I was at. Okay. I had worked in corporate America. I had, I, you know, graduated college. The, the drumming, the professional drumming life can be hard. I was, you know, on the road or touring or you know, and doing that as a professional musician and having a family can be really difficult. Right. And so I actually got into the corporate world. I was in the medical field and I just saw so many discrepancies. I saw so many people who were miserable, people that were just existing. They weren't living. And I, I think it was out of my own pain of, you know, just, man, if they just did this differently or if they just thought this differently, or if they would just change this one thing, like it would, it, it could, it could ignite so much more growth and happiness and, and teamwork and unity. So I think it was out of my own, like just frustration with corporate America and bosses that I had had that, you know, when that boss was so proud and so confident in yeah. his leadership, I had to ask the, the employees yeah. because unfortunately it's more rare than it is common. Uh, to have a, a significant boss, to have a great leader. Uh, and so that's really what spurred it on was my own personal frustration. Mm -hmm. That's the same with me. So I, I dove into that a lot based on the same thing. It's just like when you're in a position where you feel like you're beating your head against the wall and you can see because you're an employee or a team member what needs to change, but no one will listen to you. Totally. That, that's, that's what kind of spurred it for me and kind of led to like reading a whole bunch of company culture books and um, delivering happiness was a huge one for me by Tony Shea. Have yeah. you read that book or, or yeah, it's a great book. So good. So I was so curious about that. And one thing I love that you said, I think this was in another podcast. You said so many people just survive their jobs. Like they're just surviving. They're not thriving. So tell me about how you went from, you know, kind of realizing that this was a service that you could offer. And, and what was your experience in your job satisfaction going from, this corporate job that maybe you weren't super happy with to doing undercover millennial uh, and whatever else you did after that, what was your, you know, satisfaction? How did that grow? Yeah, it, it grew exponentially because, and it came, it came really down to three things and I write about it in the very end of the book and it was passion, purpose, and the ability to provide. Mm -hmm. I think what I found employees who were really thriving in an organization, not just surviving, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. they were in some way, shape or form consistently playing to their passions. Yeah. They, they invoked or had a sense of purpose in their job. And third, they were able to provide monetarily. They were able to put dinner on the table, bills that needed to be paid. They were able to live in, in a realm that was sufficient for them financially. And so I, it was really those three P's that pursued or that I pursued in efforts to do something bigger, to, right. to live, to not just, I don't know, not just to be successful in this world, but to be significant. Oh yeah. There's a big difference between those two things. Huge. Um, 
And I, I wanted to do something significant, right? Mark Twain, they said there's two important days in a person's life, the day you're born and then the day you figure out why. And I was not doing, in my mind, what I was born to do, what I was put here to do. And so it was in the pursuit of those three Ps. And I said, well, what fulfills me the most? What gives me that sense of passion, purpose, and would allow me to provide? Mm-hmm. And that was professional speaking. <clears throat> and I had some experience of that with that in high school. And it was one of those experiences and opportunities that just lighted my soul on fire. It was something that I really enjoyed to doing. And I thought, man, I could, I could do this. I could, I could, I could provide. It's really fun. Yeah. And I also feel like I'm doing something bigger than myself. Yeah. And it was that, that possibility that gave me the courage to burn the ships and quit yeah. my job and, and jump into this full time. Did you, so you, did you have that experience in high school where you kind of felt that passion or did you feel that passion again when you maybe perhaps got one of your first speaking gigs when you, when you're a little bit older, like when did you realize like, Oh my gosh, like I really like this and I have some value to provide. Yeah, there was, there's many instances, many occasions where that has been um, evident and, and, and even, even to this day where it still happens, just those little reminders that I'm doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing yeah. and I'm living and I'm not just existing. I had a little girl that I was speaking to her high school and she came up to me after the event and she had tears in her eyes and she just handed me a note. I don't know who the girl is still to this day. Uh-huh. And she, as she handed me the, the note, she said, I don't need this anymore. And then she, she walked away. I'm sitting there talking to other students. So I, I thanked her for the note, put it in my pocket. And after we ended the event and I went out to my car to drive to the airport I, I reached into my pocket and I pulled out the note and it was her suicide letter. Oh my gosh. That she had written that, that morning. And like, it was those like little moments that I, I realized, my goodness, like I can make a massive difference. Mm. I am, I am, I am doing something that's bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. And it's in the pursuit of those things as a professional speaker in the Undercover Millennial Program, even as a drummer, that I tried to do. It's all about making sure that people like themselves best because they're with you. It's making sure that people, when they experience you, that they, they like themselves best. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been able to do that through drumming. And that's why I love speaking. Uh, the Undercover Millennial Program allows people to see their world a little bit differently and in doing so to make their world a better place. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I, I'm very lucky to do what I do. And it's been, it's been an amazing journey. Well, it's incredible. I encourage anyone listening or watching, you have to go check out Clint's YouTube and see just a little snippet of these events that he's doing because the energy and the communication and the, the way you bring in your passion for music is just so fun and so incredible. And I, I want to hear a little bit, I kind of want to dive into some specifics about what you just said, because um, I've had that question pop up more than once as I've been kind of consuming your content. But talk to me about the transition, how it happened from, you were doing Undercover Millennial, I, I think this is how it happened. When did you start, like, when was your first public speaking thing? And, when, and what made you decide to, like, actually do it? Or how did the opportunity present itself? Yeah, so I, I had somebody uh, that heard me give a talk in church. Okay. Um, that person owned a leadership consulting company, 
and they came up after and they said, hey, that was really good. I want you to come and speak to a bunch of high school students down in St. George, Utah. Uh-huh. And I, want, I just would love for you to come and speak. And I was still in high school. I was a senior in high school at this point. And I said, no, I was like, I'm good. (laughs) I said, I don't really have a desire to go speak to other high school kids. Yeah. And he said, I'll pay you 500 bucks. And I was like, okay, done. I'm in. (laughs) I was like, that's, that's a lot of money for a high school student. I said, yeah, I said, I'm in. He goes, okay. And so I went down and I did that. And I just put together this workshop called to the beat of the drum and everybody had buckets and drumsticks and we were playing the music and I was just teaching music principles yes. that translated to leadership principles. Oh my gosh. And I, I remember going, my, my gosh, this is so fun. Yeah. And I, 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 my soul's on fire. Mm. And then I had kids come up and they were like, this was so helpful. I'm going to, I'm going to live differently because of what you said. I'm going to lead differently because of what you said. And then schools came up after principals or teachers and they said, Hey, we, we book speakers to come in and give assemblies. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I grew up in Heber city. We didn't really have a lot of that. Yeah. Um, that wasn't like something I ever grew up saying like, this is what I want to do when I grow yeah. up. Like I didn't know this was a viable career mm-hmm. and people were like, yeah, we, we bring speakers in all the time. And I said, okay. And I started speaking at these schools and that's where, that's where it started. And other people heard about me and superintendents would talk and principals would talk and teachers would talk. And it just slowly started to, 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 to spread. And I started speaking more and more. That is different than I had it pictured in my mind. So you were simultaneously doing public speaking events while kind of having your corporate job that you ended up like being a little bit dissatisfied with while finishing high school while doing okay and then i mean under millennial just give you significant amount of data right to go and then target for business leadership that's right amazing you you just got done with like let's see just completed 15 stop speaking tour in the is it the last 18 months uh it was in the last month yeah so we did we did uh yeah that was just in in august yeah oh okay my total of 28 speaking events, 15 locations. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Is this the first big group of events since kind of COVID stuff? Yeah, it's picking up more and more. I, I'm home for uh, like four days and then I'm off again this weekend. So it's, 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 it's continually getting busier and busier, which is great. Um, with the variant and COVID and the situation that we're at, some events are kind of postponing or canceling right now. But there's kind of this window of August, September, October where a lot of events a year and a half ago that wanted to have a conference couldn't. And now they have this window where many States are opening up. People are wanting to get back together. So it's been very, very busy. Uh, How was it doing like your first one after I'm sure you had a significant delay in events. We all did. Right. How was it doing like your first one back? Um, unbelievable. <laughs> I miss it. I, I love it. I, you know, March, March 6th, uh, 2020 was my last live event. And then in a matter of two weeks, my whole industry disappeared. Yeah. They talk about scary, right? When you're the sole provider, the breadwinner, you're the, this is all you've got, right? I have no other things to to keep me afloat. And then when something out of your control Mm. literally ends your livelihood in a matter of weeks, it's, it's terrifying. 
and we built a virtual studio and we've been, you know, we did the virtual thing for a year and a half, which is very different than professional speaking. Virtual yes. studio work is almost more of a broadcasting skill, right. and a, pu- a public speaking skill. And so I had to learn new skills, but those skills of broadcasting and communicating to a camera and talking to yourself in a room really helped me to be a better speaker on stage. Mm. Helped me to really tighten and clean up my stories and to perform better and to, you know, I don't know. Sometimes good things fall apart so that better things can fit together. I was just about to ask you before you went on that. And I just, I'm not surprised that you went that direction, but I was just going to say, what did you learn from having to pivot? And it just, it just goes to show like, this is exactly in line with who you are from what I have seen. Um, Just looking at the positive and pivoting and adapting and seeing what we can learn from all of these experiences. And uh, I love that you, that you just shared that and that you were able to pivot and now you're getting back to gigs. I'm so excited for you. I have to come see you sometimes. I'm going to figure out how. I would love that. I would love that. Um, I had, okay. So diving into a couple of the principles that you shared. Um, and I'm just wondering, I don't know if this has happened to you on occasion. I would imagine when you're speaking to a lot of people, you kind of get people to come up and, and ask you questions or like kind of pick your brain or, or, or inquire. But one thing you said that I jotted down uh, the other day was, and then you said again here, was uh, the quote of there are two important days, mm-hmm. significant days in a person's life, the day they're born and the day they figure out why. If someone is, comes up to you at a conference or contacts you and says, I, I just don't know what my purpose is. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't hit that second day yet. Yep. What yep. are some things you tell them to figure that out? Like their purpose? Yeah. Their yeah. Purpose. I, I think it comes down to, again, the, the, the three P's. I, and I know it's kind of weird that I keep coming back to that, but it really is a, a foundational piece that I believe in. If, if you had three hours on a Saturday, nothing to do, what would you do? Where would you be? If money were no issue, if that was no concern, what would you do? What would you be doing? Yeah, like is it river rafting? Is it uh, is it flying? Is it playing music? Is it running a business? Is it doing brand content? Is it being in the medical field and helping? Like, what would you do? Like, if you independently, money was not an issue. What do you consume on Instagram? Like, who do you follow? Yeah. What, what, what can you just literally watch on YouTube for hours and hours and hours and hours? Yeah. I really advocate for starting there. Uh, listen to what pulls on your heartstrings. Mm-hmm. What excites you? What is something that, that just really, um, I don't know, at the end of doing it, you're not so much stri- stressed or tired. You're more fulfilled. Even though it was hard work, even though it was a long day, even though it was a lot of effort, it was, it was empowering. It was exciting. Mm-hmm. Start there. And then I would figure out, okay, because there's, there's two aspects of life. There's the fulfillment and the passion side, which is all about you, kind of can be a selfish desire, how to fulfill you. Mm-hmm. But then there's a second part that is about fulfilling other people. Yeah. A mantra that I live my life by is it's not about being the best in the world. It's about being the best for the world. Mm-hmm. So is there other times or moments or places where you have felt like you're doing something bigger than yourself? When does that fulfillment happen? I, I think too often, Sierra, that there's a lot of people that we, we, we're wandering generalities, meaning that we, we exist, we go day in and day out doing the same thing, rinse and repeat, without pushing the pause button and taking the time to really design something. Mm-hmm. 
to really like take a pen and a paper and to think through it, to get methodical about what you would want your life to look like. Mm -hmm. And then I, I would add to this, find somebody that's doing that. Right. Like, okay. If you love horses, right. Or, or, or maybe you, you're really into baking. Mm -hmm. Like other people that are making a, a living riding horses or making YouTube videos about horses or uh, raising horses, or if there's someone that, that has a bakery or someone that has done a unique specialty that's blown up and, and now it's, it's some major chain. And like, who is it? Who is living the life that you want to live? I believe that we find purpose through the association and connection with other purposeful people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. My dad growing up, I, I grew up in Heber, a uh, wrestling community. I grew up wrestling as well. And my dad always said, if you want to be a great wrestler, then you've got to hang out by the mat. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really true to with someone trying to find their purpose. If there are those things that you innately love to do or pull on your heartstrings or something that you would maybe find joy in doing more of, hang out with the people that are doing that. Yeah. Associate with the people that are doing that, whether that's on Instagram, YouTube, associations, clubs, organizations, uh, get togethers. So, like, there's so many different things out there in this world where like-minded individuals are coming together to blow up that passion. Yes. And so you find it through the association and connection with other people that are doing that. Mm -hmm. So hang out by the hoop um, and, then, and then just be willing to design it. There's power in the details. And I feel like most people don't ever take the time to really methodically design the life that they want to live. They're living by default, not by design. Absolutely. Well, and a lot of it too is inherited default, right? They're doing what their parents told sure. them to be doing. They are absolutely on autopilot. And I think a huge moment is when you realize you can, you are in control of your life. You can design your life. You can pick the five people that you hang out with that you associate that you assume, consume their content of and glean their attributes, build up your own little mentorship. When you decide and realize you can do that, then the world opens up to you. And that's, I just think that's so huge. I just think I, I was surprised that this was such a big thing still because I thought times had changed enough, but I, I employed a lot of younger kids and I would still hear them saying, well, my, my mom wants me to go to college for this. So I'm going to go do that. And I'm like, Oh, like I'm in a bakery and I, I have, I have influence a little, right. I try to be a leader. I try to try to do that, but it, it's heartbreaking. And so I, I love that you gave some tactical things because all that is so, so true. And I think just trying things, some people are just afraid to, to try new things too to take the leap as well like it takes a little bit of it takes a little bit of courage oh yeah you know to, to jump into that right because again we're taught that the 401k and stability and college and a salary and and stability in a career is is the most important thing and that is a viable and very um significant aspect of it like those are you want to live as a responsible human being like there's a word called a mortgage that is real uh, uh you know gas utilities uh insurance uh, prescriptions uh braces for your children diapers right those cost money right. uh, 401ks i i think those are beautiful wonderful very important things that many people don't even think about and so it's a it's a balance but I think you achieve that balance, you achieve that congruency, you, you achieve the master plan through getting in the details. 
Mm-hmm. Really going, okay, so how do I support myself? How do I contribute to a 401k? How do I make enough money to pay my rent? Mm-hmm. And who else is doing that? And learning from those people. And it, it's, it's a process, but just don't be afraid to take the risk. If there's young people that are listening to this right now, you could mess up right now and pick the wrong career and go down the wrong path for five years and you still would be fine. You still would be so young and right. you could, you know, go back and get the other job or go back to college or, you know, be willing to take some chances, follow your heart, find a board of mentors, design it and give it a shot. Uh, because to live, I, it's a quote by Oscar Wilde that I love to live is the rarest thing in the world mm-hmm. for most people just exist and living takes courage. The day I quit my job, Sierra, was the day I truly started living. Yeah. Believe that. And it's one of the greatest things that I have ever done in my life. And so I say that as someone who has strived to do it. And yeah. it's possible, but it comes down to the details. It comes down to the design that you're willing to create and then act upon. And there's, I just think there's so much opportunity in that, um, even when it is scary. And when it's the most scary I've found for me, is the most learning and growth is about to happen. Um, Speaking of courage, so that, I mean, that's a huge moment for you, right? Quitting your job and like taking that leap. Since then, what is probably one of the most memorable moments where you had to be courageous and step out of your comfort zone since that? Uh, Writing a book was a big, was a big step for me. Um, It's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Uh, we had, you know, obviously the research side of it, which was complex, grueling, time consuming, long, uh, mundane at times, uh, stressful at times. And then, and then taking that research and how do you, how do you put it in a story format? How do you make it uh, compelling and how do you make it meaningful and to flow and to actually, um, be full of content, not just good stories or not just something that's talking about the problems, but also has actual takeaways. And that's a, that is a crazy process Mm -hmm. to write something that is lasting, something that is timeless, something that hasn't been said before. There's a million leadership books out there. I think there's like some stat that there's a leadership book uh, written and published every 18 minutes (laughs) in this world. That sounds about So, so, So to come up with something that is not so much different, but has a unique perspective, something that is engaging. I wanted to write a management classic, mm-hmm. something that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, would be the, the book that if anybody's a manager, if anybody's running a team, if anybody's in business and they're, they're in leadership, this is the book you've got to read. 100%. This is a book that will help you. And that's what I wanted to create. And doing that is no easy accomplishment, uh, no easy feat for me. I'm not a writer per se. I struggled with it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of authors will use ghostwriters mm-hmm. or have somebody else write the book for them. And I didn't want that. I needed the book to be me. I needed the book to be my voice. Yeah. And that took a lot of time and courage and frustration. <laughs> well, I just, I, I am so impressed with it. And absolutely, like it, it is the book. I'm about halfway through now and I can't, I've already, I already know what I'm getting people Christmas. I've read a lot of leadership books too. I really have. And one thing I couldn't help thinking right now, coming from like the restaurant food and beverage industry it, and 
seeing everyone struggle with it so much right now. Like restaurants are just hurting so bad because of it's, it's so hard to find employees right now yes. because they have so many options. And um, I think just something happened with the pandemic and then evaluating life and just figuring out where they want to be. Okay. I, I just can't help but think how much it would help some of those leaders right now who are trying to keep these people in their restaurant or whatever business. I, that's just where I think of as food and beverage, but I, I think it's tremendous. And um, I'm, I'm so like, I would love, I would just like geek out over the data with you for forever, but where can people, well, since we're talking about the book, where can people find the book? Um, it is called, I love it here. Where can people buy it and consume it yeah. Yeah, and give it away? Yeah, that's really nice of you. Um, the book is on Amazon. It's at, on Barnes and Noble, uh, anywhere pretty much you can buy books. Mm -hmm. uh, it's there. You can get it on Audible as well. Um, he reads it, yeah. by the way. I was very happy that you were the reader. I was hoping so because you have, you have just the great, the public speaking has done you very well. You sound great. You're easy to listen to. So I'm glad that you read it. Thank you. Thank you. That was also a labor of love <laughs> to, to do that in a studio. I don't think, uh, yeah, people really understand how complex and, and crazy that can, that can be to read your own audiobook. Do you so, do long sessions you. or short sessions? Uh, both. So sometimes they were long and my voice would give out because mm -hmm. it's literally like you would take a line, a sentence, and you read that like 12 times. Really? And, and you're going through it and yeah, and there's the flow and the cadence and uh, I didn't put that comma in the right place or I was supposed to pause or then you go back and you redo it again and you listen to the first sentence and then you have to come in at the right time so that it seems like it flows together. And, and I mean, it would take days to finish a chapter, days and days and days of hours in the studio. And it's not, it's not fun. It's not pretty. Uh, yeah. It's, it's very, it's a lot of work, but again, I wanted to create something as best as I could. I think quality is key in this world. Anybody can write a book. Anybody can kick something out as a Word document, publish it on Amazon, but to really do quality work and strive to make it the best that you can make it, that takes time. It takes effort. It doesn't happen overnight. How long did that whole process take from, from start to you're done record, not, not just recording, but like the whole book writing process. How long did that take you? Yeah, it took about three and a half months. Okay. Yep, of, of recording. Um, and, and yeah, and some of them were hour session, session, sessions, mm -hmm. and then some of them were three-hour sessions. So it just depended. Uh, oh, so it was three months to record the audio for the book. Uh -huh. Oh, my gosh, three and a half months. And it took me four years, four years to write the book. Oh. I started the research five and a half years ago, but I started writing the book during the research four years ago. Okay. So it's been, yeah, it's been a very long process. Well, it's, I'm, I'm super excited to finish it and to give a whole bunch of copies away. I really do. And all the stuff you're saying, and I've seen it firsthand and uh, it, it, it's made me evaluate. Like I, I know that I have things to work on as a leader. I also know that I have some strengths, but it has, it has made me be very pensive and deliberate. And uh, there was one thing in there I wanted to ask you about real quick and then we'll wrap up because I know. Yeah, you're good. No significant loyalty comes without significant connection. That was so delicious. I wrote it down. And um, you talk about that in the book about like buy-in and getting people, um, 
bought into the company and into the leadership, what's like the top two or three things that you've seen consistently overall that people are doing to create connection um, with their employees that's working? Yeah. So the three things, number one is, is becoming a mentor, not a leader. Mm-hmm. Mentorship versus management is key. If you're halfway through the book, you've read that chapter on the, on the key of becoming a mentor. How do you earn the will of those that choose to follow you? Right. How do you become the person that when people are with you, they go, yeah, you're the person that connects me to my dreams. Because of you, I can live a better story. So that's number one. Second is you must spark the possibilities for your people. Mm-hmm. So communicate their worth and their potential. So by potential, I mean growth opportunities. Can I grow in your company? Because if I can't grow in your company, I'm going to go and grow somewhere else. So a growth development plan, whether that's maybe they want a little bit more money. Maybe they want to be a manager one day. Yeah. Maybe uh, yeah. they, they, they want to be a team leader. Maybe they want to cook some of their own food. Maybe they want to maybe one day own their own restaurant. Right? How, how do you create that incentive of, I'm going to help you get to where you want to go, and we're going to create that, that path. I'm going to create potential for you. And then the second component is worth, recognition, mm-hmm. recognizing people for the contributions that they do. The coolest part about leadership, Sierra, is that it matters. The hardest part about leadership is that it matters every day. Right. So consistent recognition where people are seen. Mm-hmm. They're really heard. They're, they're validated. They're, they're uh, awarded, right? Whether that's maybe you, you do Taco Tuesdays and you bring tacos in for everybody. Maybe it's an award or a trophy. You get the rookie of the year or you're the baker of the year award or you're the customer service excellence award. Uh, maybe it's an increase in pay. Maybe you have an employee that you know they love theater so, and they've just done a great job and you go and you buy theater tickets for them and say, hey, take you and your family out or go, go on a date or go hang out with your friends. I know this is important to you. I want to say thank you. Like those little things, those little moments of worth where they, where they go, man, I'm seen. Yeah. And they really made it about me. That's, that's key. And then the third thing I would say is the power of a status interview. And that's later in the book. I don't know if you've hit that chapter yet, but great leaders were conducting what we called status interviews. Mm-hmm. And it's three questions that every employee deserves to be asked right now. And number one, the first question is, what can I do as your manager to keep you here? Mm. The second question is, what's getting in the way of your success at work? So well. And, the, and the third question is, how can I help you get there? Mm-hmm. Three very simple questions, but incredibly powerful in helping leaders to gain a proper status of their employees. That's the number one issue I found, Sierra, in my research is that leaders had a perceived idea of how they were doing, and it was different than the perceived idea of what the employees needed. So that status interview is crucial in helping you to align with that. You don't know until you ask. And they're not going to tell you until you've created that connection. That's why no significant loyalty happens without significant connection. Mm -hmm. But when you achieve that and you ask those right questions, you gain clarity. You become an advocate in the process, not just some boss that tries to develop people. Well, those questions are huge. I love, like you could literally take those and and go implement those exact questions in the way they're phrased are so powerful. And I think people should go do that. But I think, 
you're going to build more loyalty if you actually act upon those things. Like, don't just write it down and forget about it. Totally. Act upon those things. It's going to build more trust, build more connection, build more loyalty. And I just, I can't wait uh, to, to, <laughs> to send some of these out and to um, just hear about how your book stuff goes because it is so like the content there is so um, powerful and impactful and you can actually implement it. We are very close on time here, Clint. So I'm going to wrap up. I, I would love, I really wanted to dive into the, I think you're a helicopter pilot or fixed wing. Both. Both. Okay. We got to dive in that sometime. And then I, I want to spend some time on some music, but I super appreciate you taking the time. Like this was so valuable. There were lots of little nuggets in here and you guys go snag the book for just some actionable things, not just theory. Check out Clint. Clint, where can everyone find you on the socials? And if they want to see any of your content, where should they go? Yeah, they can hit up clintpulver.com. And then they can also find me on all the social media channels just under Clint Pulver. Awesome, Clint. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you and all the work you're doing. Honestly, um, you're making a huge dent in the universe for sure, um, as you, you have the receipts of. But keep going. Appreciate you. And it's nice to finally meet you. Yeah, you as well, Sierra. It's been an honor. Thank you. See you. Oh, Clint, thanks so much. We get it? Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Such awesome. good stuff. I'm super excited. Do you have any, um, do you have like listed, do you have any open public speaking events you're doing? Or are they all like private? Um, most of them are closed, uh, like, like events for, for the corporation. But mm -hmm. I'm going to try to keep posting on, on my social, like the events. Um, and, and kind of my schedule because yeah, I have had a lot of people that have asked like, I want to come and see. And mm -hmm. some of those events are open and you know, public and people and friends can, can come to the event. So I'll try to keep posting that and, um, and, and let you know, and especially too, if, if something comes up in Heber. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll, Cause that's where you're living right now. Right. Like that's. Well, yeah. I live up in uh, Midway and it's funny when I moved to Heber Midway, I did not know that you needed to specify the difference, but now I do it. <laughs> I'm like, I, don't know. I live in Midway <laughs> just to kind of be a brat, but yeah, that's where I'm living right now. But I do a lot of uh, work down in Salt Lake and I have quite a few uh, people that I know that are running their businesses and would super benefit from hearing from you. So I will, keep your name and, and share it as much as I can. And I'll, I'll be on the lookout for any public events that you do. So. Okay. Deal. And keep me posted on when this drops or how I can promote or share the podcast. Happy to, to do that and, and spread it. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time and have a great day. All right. See you. Sierra. Thanks yeah. again.